Today, we're going to begin a short series um, focused on Christmas called Illuminate, this idea of lighting and this idea of lighting the world. But as we begin this series, and before I explain um, where we're going, I want to go back to the beginning of everything, back to the book of Genesis. Um, The beginning of the book of Genesis is incredibly intense. And I've always loved it because it's, it's poetic. There's a poetic nature to it. But it is not the least bit romantic. It is not romantic poetry. It is intense poetry. The beginning of this story, the beginning of the story of humanity and God and life together, it starts with God. It begins with what the Hebrews refer to as Elohim. Elohim is God. And it says that this God, this Elohim, created the heavens and the earth, and then it says that this earth, this terra firma, this place that we call home, that this was formless and void, and that there was darkness that covered it. The Hebrew word or words that describe this condition is the phrase tohu vavohu, which is really fun to say, but not very fun to experience, right? It's chaos, it's wild, it's waste. Like if you took all the pieces of a jigsaw puzzle and you just threw them on the ground and saw this massive disorganization, it's like that, but even worse, it's not even just disorganization. We can, we can comprehend disorganization. This is anti-organization, a degree that we can't even comprehend. That is tohu vavohu, formless, void, darkness. But then there is a wind, there's a breath that goes out over the water. And the Hebrews use the term ruach to describe this breath. It is the breath of God. And then that breath becomes a voice. And that voice speaks a word. God's word speaks And that word brings order to the chaos. The word brings order to the chaos. So God's voice, God's breath, turns the chaos into something comprehensible. And it turns the darkness into light. There's some kind of word that is spoken And with this word, there is light. There is light, and the Bible says the light was good. So so, so think about this. I want you to think, isn't this a really interesting way, if you're going to write this really long story about God and humanity, isn't this an interesting way to start? Like, think about this. We have God, right? It begins with God. And then we have chaos and darkness. We We have this tohu vavohu. Then we have a word that is spoken. And when the word enters into the scene, there is light. There is organization. The darkness is driven out. That is how this book, this story of God and humanity begins. There's God, darkness, then this word, and then the light. Hold on to this idea that there is the word and light drives out the darkness. Now, it's really important to understand that the, the ideas or themes of darkness and light are very evocative in the, in the Hebrew language. Um, darkness evokes everything that is anti-God. Couple of examples, the wicked in Proverbs chapter two, they are dark. Um, judgment in Exodus chapter 10 is dark. Death in Psalm 88, it is darkness. 
Darkness, it turns out, has a way of making us honest in some sense, or sometimes even more than honest. Like, have you ever noticed how much more disturbing a sound can be at night instead of the day? Like, even the wind howling at night takes on a different impression because of the darkness. Uh, Years ago, um, some friends were recounting some stories of a house they lived in after college, and they were telling Sherry and I about this, and they told story after freaky story, like the kind of stories where the hair on the back of your neck stands up, and, and, and the wife, she was going on and on, like recounting, like, oh, there was this one time, and it's like books flying off of walls and things like, just crazy, crazy stuff. And I'm waiting for the husband who's sitting there to say, okay, it wasn't that bad, but when he gets his turn, he's like, no, no, it was bad. In fact, it was even worse. There was one night she was gone, and I had to call her to talk me down, and I, like, he's like going through his house with a baseball bat by himself, scared of whatever was in his home, like really eerie, creepy stuff that was happening. And do you know when all of the crazy stuff happened? At night, right? It always happens at night. Isn't that the way it is? It's always at night. There's something about darkness that just can make even dark things worse. So go back to Genesis. That was the world. It was dark. But then there is light, and light, metaphorically speaking, is the first of the creator's works, but it also characterizes what he does. Light is used to describe life in Psalm 56. Light is the light of salvation. Isaiah chapter nine, we're gonna be there in just a little bit. Uh, The divine presence of God is defined as light in Exodus chapter 10. So in the first creative act, God saw that the light was good. So light always involves the removal of darkness, not only in the unfolding of biblical history, but also biblical theology. It is light that drives out the darkness. It always drives it out. You cannot turn the dark on. Have you ever noticed this? There's no switch in your house that you can, it's like the dark switch. There's a light switch, But there's not a dark switch. You can't turn the dark on because the light is more powerful than the dark. The light will always drive out the darkness. So we have God and chaos, and then we have the word, and we have light. That's how the story begins. But then as you continue in Genesis, as you continue to read the story, there's this disruption. And what's also interesting, there are still days And there are still nights. Every day there is a portion of the day that is partially light, and then there is a portion of the day that is night. There is the day and there is the night. People are still living in this conundrum of a world. But there's also a separation between God and man. And so page after page, year after year, century after century, you read stories of darkness and desperation and loneliness and chaos and sorrow. It's a a life that has been stripped of light. Humanity may be living in the day, but they are still experiencing a darkness. And then, around 700 BC, we're introduced to this individual named Isaiah, and he's writing to the people of Judah, and he's writing, uh, he's writing in a season that is incredibly difficult for them as a people. It is a season of darkness. But in his writing, as he writes, there seems to be a second layer to everything that he's saying. Like, he's speaking to the moment that's in front of him, but as he speaks these things, it's as if he's also speaking of a day that is out 
about in the future. So yes, he's encouraging them now, but he's also telling us something about something in the days ahead, which is why it's called prophetic. He's describing the future. And, and there are manuscripts that date back as, as recent as 100 years before the birth of Christ. And one particular one, one particular passage stands out. Remember, the people are desperate. Life is chaotic. Sorrow, loneliness, questions about God's love or nearness. All these things exist for them. And then we read this in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle turmoil, every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. And then some of you may have heard this before. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. So what we have just read says that in this moment there is darkness, and then there is this proclamation that the light will shine again, that the light will enter the darkness. There will be a child, and there will be hope, and there will be peace, and there will be love, and there will be joy. There's darkness, but then there's this child that's born in the darkness. So you imagine the anticipation that these people would have had, right? That they've been living in relative darkness and confusion, and now there's, there's a promise of a child, and, and there's this anticipation. That anticipation of there's a child who's going to take us out of this darkness, that is the heart that is behind the season of Advent, it is this sense of anticipating the birth of Christ. It's about the longing, the desire of that which is yet to come, that which isn't here yet. And so we wait. We wait expectantly. We wait together. We wait with an ache because all is not right. Something is still missing. So, so you fast forward a few hundred years from Isaiah, and the days were even darker. If they could have been darker, they actually got darker. And from the people of Israel's perspective, they could not even sense that God was speaking to them or, or moving among them. 400 years of silence is what it's referred to frequently. And then one particular day, there's an old man named Simeon standing in the temple, and he sees this mom walk in holding a child in her arms. And he doesn't know the things that we know from the Christmas story about this child. He just sees a mom and a baby. He doesn't know about shepherds with their sheep and angels appearing. He doesn't know about wise men coming to bring gifts. He doesn't know about any of these things. He simply sees a mom carrying a son. And there is something in his bones that says, this child is the one. 
And so he rushes across the room and he does something that gets you in jail today. He grabs the child from the mother, takes this child. You can't do that today. Don't do that today, right? Takes, doesn't matter what you think is going on. You don't, you don't do this. But he did this. He grabs the child and then he says this most amazing thing because he knew in his heart, he knew that he would live to see the Christ born. He says, now I can rejoice and die because I have seen the one, I've seen the Christ. He knows it in his bones. This is the one. There was God and there was chaos and there was darkness, even silence. And with a word, there was light. Now, Simeon's response makes way more sense when we read the opening verses of the book of John in the New Testament. Listen to this, verse one of John one. He says, in the beginning, so even John goes back to the very beginning. In the beginning was the word. Remember, the word was spoken. The word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the what? The light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light but came to bear witness about the light. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. And the word became flesh. The word that speaks light into existence became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Do you see what I see? There was darkness and the word was spoken. The word was brought into existence and there is light that drives out the darkness. It's like flipping a switch in a dark room. Life is illuminated and, and the chaos and the worry and the suffering and the confusion and the pain, the, the, the things we wrestle with, all of those things are driven out by the light. We have been waiting in the dark. We live these lives of, of quiet desperation. We grasp for purpose and meaning. We hunger for answers to our questions. We long for comfort to the pain that we experience. And the light has come to us. This is, this is a story that is about us. It's about humanity in our longing, in our most difficult days, in our questions, having an answer to those things. Um, some of you, you may have heard that uh, a couple of weeks ago, actually two Sundays ago, uh, I completed an Ironman. I completed my first Ironman. Um, yeah, thanks, Cassandra. Um, I, say, I say first, but I probably should just say only, only Ironman because... I met this guy the day before I did it, and he, I, I talked to him on the street, and I go, how many of these have you done? He goes, oh, tomorrow's going to be my 28th. And I was like, oh, I got some catching up to do, right? And, uh, and then I was in the middle of the race, and I was like, who does this twice? Like, this is insanity, right? So 2.4 miles swim, 112-mile bike, and then a marathon, typical Sunday for me. Um, 12 and a half hours of continuous racing. And it was one of the most interesting things that I've 
ever experienced, both emotionally and physically and mentally. I say interesting because there were moments of like genuine euphoria, like you're running and like, or not really running, but riding the bike and kind of like giddy with excitement. And then there are moments of absolute discouragement, like this is incredibly difficult. But there was one moment when it was dark, and I, I mean that both literally and metaphorically. One of the darkest moments. We started the race in the dark and um, watched the sun go through the sky and ended the race in the dark. And so under the lights of the streets is how the run finishes. And, and strangely, I don't know why it's designed this way or even if it is designed this way, but the last mile to mile and a half of the running course, you, you make a turn from the rest of the loops that everybody else is doing and it's down a dark, like almost dark alley type of street. There are no lights, it's pitch black. When I get to this part of the, the run, I'm, I'm exa absolutely exhausted and I come to this moment and there's like one fan, the whole place had been lined with fans and now on this mile of darkness, there's one guy standing down on a corner going, all right, you guys, you got this. <laughs> like, I don't know that I do at this point, but thank you for the encouragement. You don't sound very enthusiastic. But during this stretch, somehow I ended up in this whole mile and a half and there was just me and, and three other runners. There was a guy that was behind me and two out in front of me. And all I could hear was just our feet on the pavement. And it was the longest mile of the race. In the dark, struggling to finish. And then there was this little right-hand turn. And as we made the right-hand turn, it went uphill. And we looked up the hill, and you could see that we're going to make a left-hand turn. And from that first corner that we made, we could hear the voice of the announcer over the PA. We could hear people screaming and cheering. And there was a glow of light that we could see. And so we go to the next corner, and we make the left-hand turn. And it is just a sea of people and lights and cheering and announcers. And I went from the darkest moment to the most adrenaline-infused euphoria that I have ever been in my life. I'll just share this. Here's a little picture from that moment. I'll show it to you. I look, I look like I have energy there. I'm like 30 minutes from dying in this picture right here. That is just like adrenaline-fueled energy is what that is. But the picture that it was for me of us running in the dark when we don't have to was so compelling. You and I don't have to live in the darkness. There is light and we can see and we can breathe and there is hope and there is life. That is what we've waited for. That is what we've been expecting. That's what our hearts have been longing for. The light of the world has come. But it isn't because of a shift in circumstances. It isn't because, oh, I rounded a corner and now the race is behind me. It isn't just because the hardship is over. This is actually deeper than that. The light can actually come and penetrate the darkest of nights and meet us in the worst of ache. A few years ago, I was up early on a Sunday morning and I was preparing to preach a message on suffering. The irony of this is still... Um, I still have questions for God about this one. I'm preparing a sermon on suffering, sitting in our little den at our house, and I get a phone call from one of my longest friends. He's standing in an emergency room in Los Angeles and has just lost, in that moment, his five-year-old son. Surprisingly, shockingly, 
I'll never forget that phone call. I'll never forget that sermon that I had to preach on suffering in the middle of, of listening to my friend and his ache in this moment. But, but what I also will never forget is that somehow in the middle of all of his like immediate pain, like all of the shock and, and the disruption and everything he's going through, somehow even in that moment, I could hear in his voice and he even said it, that there was, there was a sense of I'm going to get through this because of Jesus and who he is in my life. Like there was a moment of profound faith that here he was in the darkest moment and yet the light of Jesus was presenting this glimmer to him that said, there will be another day. Like there is a hope beyond this moment. In the darkest of nights, we wait. We long for something to remove the desperation, but it isn't a something. It's a someone. It's not a thing, it's not a circumstance, it's a person. It is the one, it is Jesus, it is the light of the world. And he can enter into whatever dark moment you find yourself in. Here's, here's the thing about a room like this. Um, th this can be really deceiving when we get in a room like this. Because it is so easy to look across the room and to see other people and imagine that like that person, like his life or her life or their life, like there's no way that their life is as dark as mine. There's no way that they have the thoughts that I have or the questions that I have or that they are walking through the kind of stuff. Like it's really easy because we all get dressed up and we all look our best. And we put on our smiles and we shake hands and we kind of hide the darkness and we think, well, everybody else must be doing better than me. But the reality is we all are navigating moments of darkness. Are you with me? All of us, sometimes it's weekly, sometimes it's daily. We're navigating things. Something hard that we're walking through, something, a question that we, we can't seem to resolve, feelings, emotions, that we can't seem to, to wrap our minds around. Maybe even silence. The world was and is waiting in the dark. And in that darkness, Jesus enters in. He enters into whatever it is that you're walking through right now. He enters the world in this larger scale, but he enters into your moments with you. And so this season, this season of Advent, it, it confronts what I believe is a corrosive idea that, that people hold in their hearts, and that is that God has somehow abandoned the world. Advent is a time that points and shows us he has done everything but abandoned the world. It reminds us of a hope that someone real is coming. Advent, it sneaks up on our cynicism. It surprises us with hope and, and, and with this announcement of a new day. It is, it is here, it is now that we invite the light of the world to enter into those deep places of cynicism in our hearts or the bitterness that we're holding on to, or the confusion that we're wrestling with. We invite him into those dark places and he drives out the darkness with his light. There is something about this season in which we open up and we soften up and we turn our hearts towards this day when the sound of a child's voice pierced the night and those cries changed everything for all of us. Amen? I'm gonna invite Thunder and the band to come out, and today we're gonna close by taking communion together. Um, 
so as, as they come out, they're going to sing a song that um, I think captures everything that we're talking about today really well. But I think these are the moments when we need to stop and pause and reflect and just to consider like all that this means for us. And so I'm going to give you space to reflect. And then in just a few minutes, I'll come back up and we'll take the communion together.
you'll take your communion and get that ready. That song says it so perfectly. The light of the world given for us. Jesus sat with his disciples the night that Judas betrayed him and he said, this is my body broken for you. He gave himself for us and he said to eat and remember him. So let's eat together and remember Jesus. And then one of the most beautiful, profound things that's ever been spoken. Jesus held up the cup and he blessed it and then he said, this cup is a new covenant. Covenants were the deals that the people of Israel, that they had made with God. There were all of these covenants that God had made with them. And Jesus said, no, no, there's a new covenant with all humanity. And it's made not with the blood of goats and bulls, but it's made with my life and the love that I express towards you. And you will know where you stand with God from here forward because of this. This is the new deal. And he said, drink this and remember me. Would you stand with me? May you experience the light of the world in the everyday dark moments that you walk through. When you find yourself waiting, may you have the courage to invite him to join you there. And may the darkness be eradicated from every moment in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys so much. Thanks for being here today. Be sure to hang out and linger. Like I said, there's some cards out there. You can write an encouraging note to someone or hang out and talk to some friends and we'll see you guys next week. See you later.